What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Anthony, Mike, and Lori. We are here discussing A Discovery of Witches, Season 1, Episode 4. And this episode, they packed a lot in in 40 minutes. I think they they could have done... They could have done two episodes and and still had a whole lot of stuff to cover, but we're going to get into it because there's a lot to go over. Like I have four, four pages of notes. So let's start from the top. Matthew and Diana, they arrive in France. They go to set tour, which is Matthew's ancestral home. And we finally get to meet Matthew's mother, which um, she's been referenced in the previous episode. And her name is Isabel de Claremont. And Isabel is not thrilled at playing hostess. Like, it's very evident on her face. Matthew gets there. He makes very proper introductions to Diana and to his mother. Isabel turns around. She walks back in the house. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a tough sell. So she's not pleased at all. Um, We also meet Marta, who is another vampire who lives in the home and she appears to be a housekeeper or a companion or someone who's just been part of the family for a while. Her reception to Diana is a little bit more friendly, but still not quite accepting. Um, And they go to Diana's rooms or they go to Matthew's tower. First of all, this dude lives in a castle that's got seven towers. And as far as I can tell, it's only Isabel and Marta that lives there and now Matthew. That's a lot of space for three people. Yeah, but I mean, if Mar- if Marta's a vampire, then she can clean everything really quickly. So, it'll just, <laughs> it, so it doesn't really get that dirty. It's like, you know, just moving really quick from room to room. And I really feel for Diane because like since, since Michelle was white and when I went to go see her dad, it was the same thing. Like the glare, the looking down at the nose and the sizing up, that's tough to go through. And it's like, even when she said, when she tried to speak old French to her and Diana looked at her like like she had no idea what she was talking about. And she said, hm, she doesn't even speak old French. She, just, she only speaks English and new French. And yeah. I was just like, damn, you're yeah, in for it now. Stop. We, we, we see that. But yeah, it's, it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't think Matthew would have gotten the same kind of reception if he had brought a vamp- another vampire home. You know, I don't think it was just the, oh, he brought a girl home because given his age, I'm sure he's brought a girl or two home to mama. Maybe a couple of... Yeah, he's a playboy. He's definitely brought at least four or five vamps there. I don't know if I, I don't know if I look at Matthew as the playboy type. He doesn't seem to come across that way. He seems very old fashioned in a lot of well, things. Look at, look at it this way. He's been alive since 500 BC or AD, whichever one he chooses. And he, he's, he's, there's bound to have changed a little bit over the centuries and millennia that he's been alive. He's like, he might've been a playboy for 500 years and been stable <laughs> for 500 years. And, Maybe he was gay for 250 and like a woman and pretend to be a woman for 250. I mean, he, uh, there's a lot of time between there where he could have, I mean, for, I would imagine, a lot of different it, things. Yeah, it's really boring being the same for thousands upon thousands of years. You're the same person for thousands of years. That's boring. He had to have changed up somehow. I don't know. 
Think about Louie from uh, <laughs> Interview with the Vampire. He was the same moody person. Oh, <laughs> I mean, just think about it. I think... But that's I think... Di- it's different, though. He was kind of different. He he was already kind of messed up. Well, well this is true. This is true. <laughs> he was already messed up. But anyway, so... Um, they, they get to the home. Matthew is giving Diana a tour of the home. And, um, you know, he also, he, he kind of mentions his stepfather again, Philippe. And um, when Diana asked him about Philippe's death, Matthew mentions to her that he was killed during World War II, but that's pretty much all he'll say about it. And then he leaves Diana so she can get some rest. And then you see Matthew approaching a locked door in the house and his mother appears behind him, you know, very specifically saying she wants that door locked while she is here. And again, you, you feel a little bit of the hostility that she has towards Diana. And in this exchange, we find out that the locked door is Philippe's. Um, it goes to his office and Matthew asks for access so that he can do some work. And we find out that Philippe was killed by witches. And this is one of the reasons why Isabeau has such hostility towards Diana. Not that Diana had anything to do with it, but it's kind of one of those things where um, just because she's a witch right now, as far as Isabeau is concerned, she's a representative of her whole species. So witches killed my husband, you are a witch, therefore, you pretty much killed my husband. That's kind of the way she's approaching it. And Matthew doesn't like this version of his mother. And he says something about it in a um, conversation they have later on, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, Diana is having these strange dreams again. She has another spider dream where she wakes up covered in spider webs. But the thing about this dream is she has a dream about her mother. And in this dream, her mother's standing in the window. She's bloody the way that she looks from the, the murder scene photos. And she's calling Diana's name and Diana reaches out to her. And of course she sees the, the spider webs and she wakes up and she's kind of, I, she's like in a zone. She's, it, it, it's weird. She comes out of it and she is, naturally startled but also i think she's trying to figure out like i don't know if she's having visions i don't know if something is trying to warn her about something but it's just that's the second time she's had one of these dreams and we don't really have any context behind what's causing the dreams you know at first when she had the dream in the last episode i thought that that was something that was happening to her because of the book And now I'm not so sure because she's got all this other stuff going on. You know, the witches are kind of after her. Um, You know, Knox has been doing stuff and I don't know. It's just Diana's got a lot going on. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely, I think among all the other powers that she has, that she has no idea that she has is probably, she, she probably does have some kind of link to visions and to, into her ancestors where they can warn her about things that are coming up and like this freaking spiders why does it always have to be freaking spiders the spiders are maybe a way or is somebody someone else manifesting themselves and saying 
okay, you need to be really careful because you got because danger is coming. So I mean, then spiders when they weave their webs, they stay they stay in one spot and have their legs on all the all the webs to feel when something hits their web, either it's danger or food, so they can figure out which way to go. Mm. I think maybe the spider is a manifestation of letting her know which way she needs to go or which way she needs to, or who she needs to, which way or who she needs to avoid in order to avoid danger. Hmm. Now question, when she, when she had that dream in the last episode, am I correct in remembering that immediately after she had that dream, she got, she got a call from her aunts because that happened in this episode. And I was trying to remember. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because she was doing the safe thing and looking for, looking looking for something, and she got snapped out of it somehow. Okay, because I like I, I remember scene. Emily saying something about she was also having weird visions about, um, about Diana, and then immediately after Diana snaps out of this dream, her phone starts ringing, and it's her aunts, and they're calling her because they said something about your your phone your ringtone has changed or something so i guess because diana went from england to france maybe something about the way the way the calls go through sounds different i noticed that when i call like if i call someone that's somewhere else the ring you know just the dial tone sounds a little different so i don't know if that's that's what happened with them it gives you that double ring like that yeah like, it, like a double ring kind of legend right know. So uh, out of the of country. So of oh, course they're like, where are you? Why is your ringtone different? Well, like I said it in last episode, Sarah is like the overprotective worry wart aunt. She's the one that's going to be calling like, what are you doing? What are you wearing? Where are you going? What are you eating? She's, you know, she seems to be that worrisome. But of course with Diana, you kind of have to be with everything that's going on. And so Diana basically tells them, yeah, I am not there i had to leave oxford because peter knox threatened me which doesn't surprise emily and sarah because they're like yeah he kind of harassed your parents too but then when she tells them where she is and who she's with they don't even get concerned about the fact that she's with matthew they're like isabel de claremont you need to get the hell out right now she is a witch killer she has a reputation she has she has decimated covens for decades like completely wiped out covens in south america they don't say why they don't say how they know but they're basically giving her this warning i was like oh this just got really interesting you've got a witch killer with a witch in the house hmm yeah but we we found out later what her reasons are oh yeah that's true but at this point we didn't know so i was just kind of like oh this is gonna be interesting well, I had hope. Well, at the time watching it, I had hopes for her because she didn't kill her on the spot. Right. Like she didn't, she didn't slaughter her right there. She just gave her the mean, nasty look. Well, you know, I think that probably would have caused some problems with her son had she done that. You know, I mean, regardless of how she feels about Diana, that is still someone her son brought home. So I guess she figured, okay, if Matthew brought her here knowing because i'm i'm pretty sure matthew knows his mother does not like witches especially given the fact that witches killed his stepfather so you didn't he say man. didn't he say she's under my protection or something to that effect 
He did say something about that later on. Not at this okay. point. Yeah. Not at first. But I think at this point, I think Matthew has to be a good judge of character. You know, to have lived as long as he has lived, you can't do that by being naive and by trusting everybody. He has to be a good judge of character. And I would think that for him to bring this witch home to his mother, who he knows has an extreme hate of witches, she also had to have seen he must have had a good reason. You know, she didn't know what the reason was yet. She kind of figured as far as him being attracted to her. But I think she kind of maybe was sitting back to see how this was going to unfold. Like, okay, so what are we walking into here? What's going on? You know, she just kind of wanted to get some more information. But um, you did, did have Marta kind of sense her aura. They said she said she smelled the power. She could smell the power on Diana, and it smelled like sweet grass and like I can't remember what did she say after that. She said she smelled sweet and green, like sweet like what she like said, spring. Uh-huh. like spring. Yes, yeah, but I, I I get the feeling that that Marta might be a little bit more than a vampire because they specifically asked her about Diana's magic, and I understand that the vampires can smell magic but it seems like she might have a a particular uh a talent because they kept looking at her asking her well did you see this uh what do you think of this or am i imagining that no because my the, the way she did it it made me think so she isabel she was probably isabel's tracker to help her oh. You found the vampire that has the, this uncanny ability to sense witches and, and ah. And their power, then yeah, Isabel's gonna need that to decimate all those covens. That would make sense. Oh yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Cause yeah, yeah. cause cause when they Matthew and Diana are going horseback riding, and Isabel and Marta are kind of looking at them from on high, and Isabel asked her, she was like, "Well," and Marta says, "I have not smelt such power in centuries," and I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. that's." That's an interesting, you know, it wasn't necessarily about her blood. Like she smelt her power, you know. She's she's a tracker. That's what yeah. that's that's what she is. That that actually yeah. does make a lot of sense. But oh, this so we gotta we gotta go back to Oxford for a minute because I have to talk about I have to talk about Vampire Bay. And I know she's crazy. I know she's crazy, but Juliet, like oh, that woman is so fucking gorgeous. <laughs> Anyway, so we go back to, to Oxford. Marcus is on the phone with Miriam and they're talking about the fact that Matthew and Diana have made it safely to France. They're having like some little small talk about the fact that, oh yeah, you know what? I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of worried about how Isabel's going to take that. Blah, blah. You know, they're just having like a little small talk. And Marcus, he's approaching Matthew's room probably to go make sure that he has everything, make sure it's locked up. I don't know. But he's approaching Matthew's room and something kind of like makes the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. Like he knows that something is not right within the room and he kind of goes silent on the phone and Miriam is on the phone like, Marcus, is everything okay? Is everything okay? He's not answering because he knows that something is wrong. So he walks into the room and there's Juliet. And let me tell you, this girl, like, you know how we said when we were talking about Cursed, how Sister Iris is going to be a problem? 
this Juliet girl is going to be a problem. And she's going to be a problem solely for the fact that she's a woman scorned. Like her whole attitude, her whole demeanor when Marcus found her, she was like, where's Matthew? Does he miss me? Is he with that witch? Like she's automatically like jealous girlfriend. She's ready to scratch somebody's eyes out. I mean, she starts out and she's looking like this really sweet girl. She's really beautiful. Where's where's Matthew at? You see with it, and all of a sudden you see her start changing. And it's like, oh my God, this bitch is crazy. Right. And she's like, Does he miss me? And Marcus is like, uh He he left you, remember? He he he's not thinking about you. He's moved on. That's what it was. And then she was like, Oh, is he with that witch? And they get into a tussle. And they get ready to start fighting. And all of a sudden, whoosh, I was like, what? Miriam yeah. shows up out of nowhere. And they're about to her. She, she was still on the phone. As soon as, as, soon as she heard Julia's name, she was like, man. And there. I thought we were about to In get a hurry. Like the cat fight of the century. <laughs> but um, yeah, Miriam came in and shut that down real quick. You know, Juliet kind of collected herself and she was like tell Matthew I rang and she gets ready to walk out the door Miriam says um, <laughs> what did she say she says you know eternity is a long time to chase after a man that doesn't want you I was like oh these two don't like each other at all well first of all first of all Juliet didn't want none of Miriam she none any when of I tell you no. Miriam in there shut that shit <laughs> down like I you know and it's so funny because I was like I don't know if Marcus if she got the upper hand on Marcus because Marcus is one of those where he's not going to hit a female or whatever but she looked like she was about to tear Marcus's ass up and Miriam walks in and, and she even says as much you know she says something to the fact of oh yeah just as usual always needing someone else to fight your battles or something like that so Obviously, this is not the first time Miriam has come to Marcus's. Well, I, I, Marcus is not a fighter. He's not a fighter. He is not a fighter. I don't you think can so. look Juliet at him. looked like she could scrap. Juliet <laughs> is going to rip his head Juliet, off. Juliet's crazy. Of course she can scrap. scrap. It's like she can fight better than most other people because she doesn't have she doesn't have a conscience or a, a butt or something in her that tells her to stop hitting people. So if she starts to get people, you saw how she was with the guy that his name Matthew. It's like she just went and goes on instinct. So that's dangerous as hell, especially if you're not so crazy and out of your mind. But, yeah, but, but she your wanted baby, your her. baby brother is getting his ass kicked, and you gotta go save him. I'm sure that's not the first time. I mean, come on. Right. I wonder if her character would be that crazy if Jaber hadn't made her that way because like very specifically she says that he taught her to crave Matthew and then he basically set her free after he had her kind of locked away for a little bit he set her free so that she could go find Matthew so it's kind of like would she be that crazy if like I don't even know what kind of conditioning he did to make her that way about Matthew and then of course her and Matthew actually had some kind of relationship we saw that in her flashbacks so i don't know if that just amplified whatever feeling she had for him but i just kind of mm -hmm. wonder like what was she before because again matthew 
Matthew seems to, I don't know, he seems to have a type or I, I should say he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to me like the type who would purposefully go after someone who was nuts. So she had to have been no. a different type of person, well, you know, or been able I, to come across. I, I would he he comes across as the type of person that would want to help someone. So if a person is I don't want to use the word broken, but if there's some the person needs help or if someone needs something he seems like he would be the first person that would want to help them mm. as a vampire. That doesn't seem to be a vampire thing to do, you know, to be sort of selfless. Yeah, because we talked about people. that the last episode. You, you talked about yeah. selfish, they seem, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and the other thing, if, if this kind of follows where vampires are, usually something like that amplifies who they are already. So it's possible that she was a little different, talking about Juliet. She could have had a little bit of OCD or a little bit of dependent personality. She could have had a little bit of that and becoming a vampire just amplifies that and Jabert would be able to totally manipulate a person like that Mm -hmm. into becoming what he needed them to be. So I'm not saying she was completely crazy, but she probably had, she probably was already that kind of a person had that type of a personality right. that Jabir would chase kind of for. Because if anything, something. yeah, because mm. anything he would have, he could have done it to anybody. But you know, he had this specific person. And she was perfect for what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. Whew. That one's gonna be a handful. But she didn't want none of Miriam. Not, not I wanted her backstory. <laughs> right. Like right. I, I really want to know. Like. I hope that we do get that. I don't think we get that this season, but maybe next season we'll find out more about Matthew and Marcus and Miriam and like how he found them and how they became a part of his family. But um, yeah, no, she didn't want none of Miriam. Miriam came in like ready to scrap. That mess was fun. Like I had to rewind because it happened so fast. She got in there so fast and I was like, wait, what did I miss? Like, did I blink? Did I look down? What happened? It was so fast. And yeah, Juliet just kind of like straightened up and she was just like, okay, well, tell Matthew I came by. <laughs> Let me get the hell on right now. This ain't what I want. But okay, let's go to the congregation. Because this is so, this congregation thing, we find out a lot. And um, so the congregation is a session. Peter Knox has apparently called for an emergency meeting. Um, So we get the demon representatives coming in as Knox and Satu are having a conversation. And we find out that Nat's mother, who we met in the last episode, she is actually the leader of the demons. And I'm going to go to this little conversation because in the grand scheme of things, it kind of doesn't seem like it would be important, but given something that happened with Satu in the last episode, I thought, you know, that's something really specific to put in the conversation and in the show. So Peter goes over and he introduces Satu to Agatha and he makes a comment, you know, he tells Agatha, yes, Satu is our new witch representative on the congregation and Agatha is very pleased, you know, because it's another woman. 
And Peter says, um, yeah, Agatha has been on to us about adding more women to the congregation, but you know, our vampire colleagues take offense, take exception to that. And Satu asks why, and Agatha makes a remark that all of the vampire representatives over the past 900 years have all been white males. And, you know, Satu has like this brief look on her face. And like I said, in the last episode, she made a comment to Rico when he talked about the responsibility of administration of the congregation passing on to all of the elder male members in his family. Like it's a very male dominated um, organization. And I don't know, I, I was thinking about the fact that Anthony, you were saying that you feel like even though Satu is working with Knox now, you feel like she's gonna be one of those characters that turns. And for some reason, I feel like this whole male dominance thing is going to be the thing that turns her, you know? And having that conversation there just kind of out there in the open like that, I was like, oh, y'all are dropping us one of those little hints again. Like, like this conversation is going to be very important in, in a later episode. I just feel it. But then, of course... Yeah, it just it seems like in the future, at some point, Satu is going to have to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it may not be re- soon, but at some point in the future, she's going to have to decide what side is she going to be on. And it may come down to the broader picture, which is taking down the patriarchy mm-hmm. that, of this organization. That, that may be what it comes to. Because remember, she said her mother taught her, you know, everything she knew. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's going to be a thing where wait, it's witches are not all men, so why is it always just men on the congregation? Right, you know? right. Because I think it was Satu and Agatha. I think they're the only two women on the congregation. Yeah. Um, that we yep. saw. So of course they're having this conversation, and after Agatha makes that remark. Here comes a vampire who seems to be very irritated by, by that remark. He's like, are you done, Agatha? And I'm like, oh, white male vampire, you know? And it happens to be uh, the vampire Baldwin that we talked about earlier. We were trying to figure out who this person was because this is the person who Jaber was like, I don't want him in my business. And Baldwin walks into the um, building with Jaber and Domenico at his side. So these are the three vampire representatives and they go into the chamber and they meet in this session. And um, like I said, Peter Knox is the one who called the session and he's there on behalf of the witches to request assistance from the congregation because he says that congregation rules have been broken because Matthew has abducted a witch. And it is at this point that we find out that Baldwin is Matthew's older brother. Ooh, the plot thickens. So not only is Matthew's brother the head of the congregation, your witch representative just accused your brother of kidnapping a witch in front of the whole congregation. Just basically, I feel like I feel like that was kind of a, a challenge to Baldwin, you know, it, maybe not directly, but it was one of those, yeah, you're in charge and you can't even keep, you know, you can't even keep tabs on your brother. You can't keep control of your brother. He stole one of our witches, you know? And um, 
Yes, very sneaky, very very sneaky. He is. And it's you like, know what? They got his. It's like the, the way he presented them is is just like, come on, man. Like he said, she was abducted, and he is like the way he way he did it. It's like you could see how, like Satu was just like, wait, huh? He's like you. You would think that he would that he would have got put the story got gone over the story with her, so she doesn't look like surprised when he says something like oh, that. And she, but, she was like, but that's not the only thing she was surprised about because as they're doing all of this, you know, Knox is giving them uh, he's giving them quote unquote evidence of Matthew stalking Diana, and he's sending this through through their cell phones through text message. So I'm assuming that while they were together at the library or the times that they've, you know, been together, Knox has probably been, you know, like sneakily snapping pictures or whatever. It's um, probably bad taking pictures. I don't know if she's got that much guts. Like, I don't think, mm, anyway. We'll never underestimate wanting to impress people, the need to impress people and wanting and upward and the potential for upward mobility. Never, never would be too scared to do something like that. But if it, but if it made her look good in Knox's eyes and potentially made her move up in the world of witches, mm. she could swallow that and be and and not and just be all sketchy around her, around Diana. But while she's not there, you sell she's all in her business anyway. So it's like, yeah, what, what, how far is that from following, kind of being behind her and taking pictures of your cell phone and sending them to Knox? Look what she's doing now. Look what she's doing now. Look what she's doing now. I mean, she's a snitch. She's a snitch. She's been proven to be a snitch. So, I mean, that's the one thing that she's good at. I mean, she's damn sure not good at picking wigs. She's good at snitching. That's her thing. Mike is going to talk about this bad wig the whole season. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> but I don't okay, think... That's my point. I don't think Jillian is the type... She doesn't seem to me like the type of person who's looking to get ahead or looking to move up in the ranks. I think as despicable as her character is to me, I think she really just thinks that she is doing what's good for the coven. I think she really thinks that she's trying to protect them and she thinks she's trying to protect Diana as well because of the way they have their prejudices against the vampires. She thinks she's looking out for Diana. She thinks that because Diana is not familiar with the, the way that their world works, because she has done everything in her power to cut herself off from that world. She doesn't know about the dynamics. She doesn't know about the rules. And I think Jillian probably looks at Diana as a little bit naive and she really thinks she's protecting her, but she doesn't realize that her actions are actually making things worse for Diana, you know? So I think, I think she started out with good intentions and now it's just gotten to the point where because Knox is, in, is involved and Knox knows that she and Diana are acquaintances, if not friends, he's using that to his advantage and of course not being the kind of overbearing overpowering person that she is somebody like Jillian doesn't know how to stand up to him and she doesn't know how to say no so I really think she's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place right now doesn't mean I excuse her and doesn't mean that I like her character but 
she does seem to be kind of in an impossible situation right now. I don't think she's doing it for any kind of gain for herself. That's that's not the vibe yeah. I get from her character. I, I think I still I still think she's doing it to look to look good in their eyes because she doesn't have that much self esteem. So she's doing something so that she can feel like she's part of it. I don't think she feels like she's really part of a, part of a coven because she just kind of on. She's always trying to impress. She's always trying to, when she sees higher up, she's always trying to make them notice her. And that's that's her thing. And I'm like, and that just turns her into a snitch. And it's just, I mean, that's just, that's just kind of how I see it, though. Yeah. Can we discuss what I talked about last episode? Knox making this miscalculation by looking desperate because he really just wants someone else to turn the witch over to him because he can't get her himself oh i'm so, oh i'm about to get to that because like i said empire is going to get her for him yeah okay because he so he's giving them all of this evidence you know trying to show them that matthew has you know abducted diana and at this time, there's like a small break because Baldwin is trying to figure out where his brother is. Like once once Knox pretty much outed Matthew as the kidnapper, he's like, yeah, we need to bring him in. We need to punish him. And of course, while this is going on, Domenico and Jaber are exchanging looks like, oh, we got him. We got him, you know? So Baldwin calls Matthew, doesn't get an answer. So he calls Marcus and he's basically questioning Marcus where is Matthew did he abduct the witch what's going on and Marcus is trying to like protect Matthew he's trying not to say much he's like well why don't you call Matthew yourself and he's like he's not answering his phone he was like I understand that's your father and you're protecting him but I'm the head of this house you know I'm the head of this family so you need to tell me where he is and of course apparently Marcus I don't know if it's the thing about I don't know if if Baldwin compels him to tell him or if it's because of the fact that Baldwin is the head of the family that Marcus is obligated to do what he says. But when they come back to this chamber and Peter is, you know, giving them the information, oh yeah, here's my evidence, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he tells Baldwin, he says, your father is the one who created the congregation and he created the rules you know, with the purpose of keeping the humans from finding out about us and to keep peace amongst the species. And so they start bickering back and forth. Jaber says that Matthew needs to be held accountable. Agatha's like, why would Matthew do something like this? Like, there's got to be a good reason. Why would he take this kind of risk? And then Baldwin comments that, well, Diana comes from a distinguished lineage, the bishops, and, you know, he wants to know if she's powerful. And Satu answers before Knox can answer. And you can see Knox is thrown off by this because Satu says, no, she's not powerful. She was tested as a child. And if she had powers, they would have manifested before then. Knox looks kind of surprised by this because he doesn't realize that Satu has been in the archives and has been researching Diana Bishop. So this is news to him. And then Baldwin says, well, she has to be powerful because she's the only creature who's ever conjured or who's ever been able to summon the book of life. 
but Knox didn't tell us this like he usually leaves stuff out. And Knox is sitting there like he's got egg in his face because not only has Satu given up information that he never meant for them to know, but now Baldwin also has information that he didn't intend for the congregation to know. He literally said this to Satu right before the demon representatives walked in. He was like, I'm not going to tell them about the book. We need to get them on our side first. So now everything that he's been trying to plot has just been blown out and, of the water. And didn't I tell you, he he had he was going to blow this up. Last episode, he was going to blow it up because he's too stupid to realize if you tell them about her, Matthew is going to have to tell them <laughs> that she was able to get the book of life. And that's going to change the dynamic of everything. Right. But, you know, if he kept it to himself, he could at least try to figure out a way to do it. Maybe get, you know, Domenico or Jaber on his side. But if you tell the congregation, then everybody knows about it. And that changes the game. Yep. Yeah. Which it does. So that, that, this is him not thinking, you know, big picture long term. Right. He's thinking immediately. I need her right now so I can mm -hmm. get the book right now. And now, do. everybody now, and now, now it's out of his hands, hands. Right. because Baldwin has basically said, "Okay, well, I find out <clears> where they are." Matthew has her at the family home; they're in France. So now, the congregation is going to send a representative to go and retrieve them. And you know, of course, they're bickering because once they find out that Knox knew this information and had it planned on sharing it, oh, the vampires are pissed. The demons are pissed. They're like, this book belongs to all of us and you were trying to keep it for yourself. You know, you're trying to you're trying to one up us. And of course, like you said, this doesn't work in Knox's favor because now everybody's looking at him you like you lying mofo. You Yeah. I thought Ag Agatha was gonna throw out that here we go again with this white oh. man patriarchy exactly. all over again. <laughs> I just I just knew she was gonna say that. She looked like that she that's what she wanted to do. But that's um, what she wanted to do. Oh, you buried the lead, though. The side note, how powerful is it the Claremont family that Philippe was the one that created the congregation? Right. You right. Know, that, that would be the key to the Claremonts being as powerful as they are. Mm -hmm. So, but that's probably also, too, why Matthew has a little bit of a disregard for the rules. <laughs> <laughs> he's like it's like the rules don't apply to me it's like baldwin is the dutiful older and we can only assume that he is the older son because he's the one that's in charge of the congregation now but it's like baldwin is the dutiful older son the one who follows the rules the one who has you know who who does all the the scheming and the conniving and all of this stuff to keep everything under control and Matthew is like the rebel little brother, the one who's like, yeah, whatever, screw your rules. You know, not necessarily, he's not that blatant about it, but I mean, obviously there is a rule about co-mingling between species and he is breaking it in a huge way, in a very public way. So yeah, Matthew is like the rebel child, you know? And, and you know the way that Juliet feared Miriam? I want to say they fear Matthew just, just as much. It's, it's almost as if, I, I don't want to say what well, he was like, I was like this before the congregation. Like, I predate the congregation, so the rules don't apply to me. Right. You know, <laughs> yes. Like, 
my father created the congregation. I ain't have nothing to do with that. So the rules don't apply to me. I'm not a part yes. of it. So yes. y'all can do whatever y'all want to do, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And you can try to stop me. And you know his parents are not going to do anything about him because that's their son. Right. But like anyone else, like Jabir, he had to try to get someone else to sneak in and get him. Uh-huh. He had to use a, use a woman to soften him up. Like, uh-huh. Say, I know how to get, I'll get to him through his heart, but that didn't work either. So now, every, now that everybody knows, they're going to, like, everybody's, like, kind of breaking off, like, okay, this is what we need to do. Like, we, like, the, like, Jerber and Jerber gets together with, um, with, with, um, what's his name? Dominica. Yeah. And then, then the head of the demons calls her son and wants to talk to Sophie and try to get her, and, and try to get her opinion on every, on the Diana, on Diana. And then after she tells her that Sophie wants to go see her, and I'm like, that's not a good idea at all. Like, yeah. I can't see that ending well at all. But it's like now everybody's getting plans to try to figure out how to get the book. Like, they're trying to figure out if she can see it, she can get it, then we can get it from her. So now Diana's in even bigger, in even bigger mess than before. Like, she has everybody after her. Mm-hmm. But let's go back to Matthew and Diana for a little bit. <laughs> There, we're going to come back to the congregation, but we got to go back to Matthew and Diana for a little bit because there's some interesting things happening there at Setor. So while Diana is resting, Matthew is doing his quote-unquote work in Philippe's office. And what he's actually doing is he's analyzing the photos from Diana's parents' murder and as he's analyzing the photo, he's, he's looking at some of the debris that's in the photos and he's noticing, like, I guess some of the things don't look in place or they look out of place or something about them disturbs him. So he does a deeper analysis of the photos and what he finds is a chalk line um, or a witch's line, which seems to indicate that Diana's parents were murdered by witches and not by, you know, the townsfolk or whatever the story was um, back then when, when they were found. So he tells her this um, after he's given her a tour, they, they approach Philippe's office and, you know, she kind of tells him the information that her aunts have told her about Isabel and you know she basically tells him that she's going to make up her own mind about what to think about his mother you know she's not going to just take the word of her aunts or anybody she's like okay I do know that vampires used to work with the Nazis and you know that which has played a part in Philippe's death but I'm not going to come to any conclusions based on that information I'm going to make my own decisions and you know, Matthew tells her about her parents because she thinks that she needs to go home. She thinks that she needs to be away from there. She thinks she needs to go back and be with her aunts because she thinks her aunts can protect her and she doesn't want Matthew to feel obligated. And she also doesn't want to come between him and his mother. And like she says, she knows that his mother doesn't really want her there and she understands why, but you know, she's like, I, they can protect me in Madison County. I can go back to New York and they can protect me. He's like, no, you need to, you need to stay away from the witches too. And she's like, what? He's like, it's not just about Peter Knox. And then he tells her about her parents 
and the fact that witches killed her parents. And of course, she doesn't know how to take this. She kind of goes off and she's like in a daze for a little bit. But um, afterwards, Matthew and Isabeau, they have a conversation because Isabeau is in Philippe's office and she sees the pictures and she also correctly deduces what it means. And she asks Matthew whether or not he's told Diana. He tells her that he has. And he also tells Isabel, he was, you know, she's like, and how did she take it? He was like, well, she didn't fall apart if that's what you want, you know, if that's what you were asking. And, you know, he, I don't think he's trying to be cruel to his mother, but he says to her, one of the things that drew him to Diana was the fact that she was brave and that bravery reminded him of Isabel. And he's like, you used to be so open-minded at one, one point in time. Why can't you be that way now? And he walks out and it's like, Isabel is very hardened, you can tell, but it's like after this conversation, she seems to soften up a little bit. Like, I don't know if it's something about Matthew, like Matthew seems to be able to penetrate that wall with the women in this show i don't know what it is but even with his mother she's just kind of like hmm okay maybe i need to rethink this you know but it's well, well if you think about it he he knows he knows her and if philippe was killed in world war ii or whatever her her and philippe had to have been together for thousands of years and to lose him in that way probably devastated her, which is why she devastated all those covens. Mm. But that's really just a recent thing in the vampire life. And he basically is saying, you, were, you weren't always like this. Mm. Like most of your life, you were a brave, sweet woman who's just like this woman I'm in love with now. And you're, you're not that same person where I wish you would go back to being that way. And it probably made her think about it like, you know what, he's he's probably right. He's probably the only person that talks to her in the way that she needs to be talked to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he, he, he doesn't, doesn't have... Respectful way, it's like he's not... Mm-hmm. He's, he's not one he's of not being mean or anything. Right, yeah. he doesn't raise his voice. Like, he says it in a very loving way, but even so, the way he said it, like, I felt cut because it was kind of like one of those things like, oh, this is one of the things that I love about you. Why aren't you this person anymore? You know, and Mm -hmm. I think also, too, just her knowing that even though Diana is a witch, she's also been betrayed by her own kind if, in fact, they killed her parents. So it's kind of like you you really don't have a choice but to look at this person or to change the way that you think about this person that you looked at as an enemy. I mean, even if she's not your friend now, you can't you can't have anything but some empathy for her because she's also suffered loss the same way that you suffer loss, you know, and even more so because this was her, these were her parents and she was a child when this happened, you know? So it's kind of like, you can't really blame her for what all these other witches did, especially considering they did the same thing to her. And I think that just kind of maybe started the gears turning in her head, like, okay, maybe I need to look at this a little differently. 
you know, or maybe I need to not be as hostile towards her. And I mean, even Diana approaches her a little bit after that and they have a conversation and she asks Isabel about Philippe's death and Isabel gets offensive. She's like, how dare you ask me that? And, um, you know, she points out to Isabel, she's like, look, there's good and bad in every species. She was like, good and bad, witches, good and bad, vampires, good and, good and bad in everybody. And that's when she tells Isabel, she's like, I know, I know things about you, but I'm going to make up my own mind on the type of person that you are. And, you know, she, she mentions Diana's parents to her. She asks if she knows why her parents were married. I mean, were murdered. And Diana tells her that she doesn't. And she thinks long and hard before she responds to that. And she tells her whoever did it, make them pay. She was like, it's not going to take away the hurt, but it'll help. And Diana just kind of looks at her and just kind of like very subtly nods her head. But it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, okay, I understand you and you understand me. So it's like, maybe they don't like each other. Maybe they're not going to be BFFs. But I think at that point, they were kind of looking at each other with like an agreed mutual respect. But I, for Diana's character to not have fallen apart at this point, I mean, your magic has been exposed accidentally, something that you never wanted. You've got vampires after you. I mean, well, not the vampires after her. Well, technically speaking, Matthew was for a minute, but you've got witches after, witches you. after you. You know, you you've gotten threats you just found out that your own kind murdered your parents you've had to be uprooted from your home your life and it's just it's a lot for somebody to deal with and then we find out this is all taking place in the span of three weeks that's a lot for somebody to deal with without like i'm surprised her magic isn't going more haywire than it is you know yeah. Um, one thing, um, Isabel knows know, knows of what she speaks when she tells her to go kill them. That it's not going to help, but it, it's not it's not going to cure anything. But it helps because that's exactly what she did. She went and killed when when she found out that witches witches killed her husband. She went and started exterminating covens. And while it probably didn't replace anything, it kind of helped. So that's kind of a macabre moment when you think about it. It's like, okay, go handle your handle business, like, you know, take care of them. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna take the pain out of your heart, but it'll, it'll give it it's a start. Like and she almost all she had to, I was just waiting for her to say, believe me, I know, and look out into the distance. And all of a sudden <laughs> you hear like you hear like witches calling out and calling out in fear and stuff. But yeah. But I mean she she knows firsthand that, you know, a little little bit of blood goes a long way in healing. We'll see. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, we keep saying we wonder what Diana's going to be like when she comes into her full power or when she realizes, you know, or when she's able to control her, her power. And this was before when we thought she just needed to protect herself. Now she knows her parents were murdered by witches, you know, and I don't know. Maybe she thinks Peter Knox has something to do with that. Maybe she doesn't. But I wouldn't want to be a witch right now. I really wouldn't. I would be like, oh, wait, you know what? Um, 
I'm going to go visit the States for maybe a couple of months, catch y'all on the flip side. Y'all let me know when, when this Diana <laughs> Bishop problem has been dealt with. I don't want to be here for that, you know? Even somewhere far away like Siberia or somewhere, just like, you know, out of her view or or anywhere that she can find. Just be like, I'm I'm in Antarctica. Y'all let me know when this is up, when this shit's over. Right. But oh, okay. Okay. Here's here's the thing. Maybe because I'm looking into this too much. Again, going back to what we were talking about last episode about how she doesn't seem to have any interest in anything that should be related to her being a witch. She's 32-ish. Can we agree uh, right around there? 32-ish, maybe 34, around there? 30s, mid, around there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know about you guys, but if my parents had been killed and they had been killed in a really freaky way, um, I'm thinking I would have looked into it myself. I don't think I want to wait until I'm in my 30s to have someone who I've only known for three weeks say, well, if you magnify the photo, you can see right here it was a witch's circle. Something's going on with that. Okay? Something is going on because that is not normal. Old girl should have known there was something going on from way back. If not, her aunts are hiding something. Okay? That's all I gotta say. That is a problem. That is an issue. I'm gonna call it. I think she's got a spell put on her. Uh. Got what now? A spell. Oh. She's been compelled to forget. <laughs> that might possible. And you know what? That actually does make sense, especially if you think about it. Remember, we were talking the last episode about the fact that. Emily and Sarah seem to be on two different uh, two different wavelengths when it comes to Diana and her involvement with the witches. Like Sarah is the one who like keeps trying to push her. Like you need to you need to do this. You need to embrace your you know you need to learn how to use your powers. Blah 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 blah. And Emily has been kind of like no, kind of leave her alone. Let her deal with things in her own way. That would make so much sense. And then the fact that Satu, when Satu first met her, she tried to do a spell to see how powerful she was. And she said something about, you did something to it. You know, it was almost like she sensed the block in Diana. So maybe that is the case. Maybe she does have a spell put on her, but maybe she wasn't the one that did it. Maybe, maybe her parents did it or maybe Emily did it or maybe some other you know that that opens up a whole different a whole lot of possibilities because she could th they could have placed a spell on her to protect her especially if she's as powerful like yeah. other other magical creatures they can sense her power they can smell her power maybe they right. did that to kind of hide yeah her. but but at, at, at this point she had met Satu yet no, she hadn't met Satu yet, but remember, she met Satu in the first episode, and Satu told yeah, yeah. her to do, she tried to do a spell on her, and she said, oh, yeah, she did. She said, you did something to it, or you blocked it, or something, what did you do? So she thinks that yeah. Diana is the one who, I guess, blocked her own spell, or uh, blocked her own magic. But maybe somebody else did that 
for that very reason, so that if someone powerful like Satu comes across Diana, they won't detect it. Maybe that's also why when Peter Knox tested her when she was a child, he detected no magic. Maybe she already had a spell put on her back then. You know what I'm saying? So, mm. mm -hmm. which would explain a lot. I mean, because like I said, this is just, like I was telling the guys, it's, it's just sort of unnatural on how unbothered she is about just everything. And even now that she's getting uh, more and more curious, it's still not to the point where I think it should be. It's sort of like she's about 35% to 40% interested, but she could take it either way. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, hey. she's like, yeah, you know, like that. Yeah, because if it was me, I would be trying to find out everything I could. But then again, if it was me and my parents had been murdered, I would probably like, I'm I'm one of those personalities. I would probably be obsessed with finding out what happened. Especially since, you know, even when she was asked her, I think she was having the conversation with Sean and she was telling Sean about her parents and that they were murdered because they were suspected of being witches. That's all you know? After all this time, I would have been obsessed. I would have been, yeah, I, it just, it does seem odd, even for someone who wants to kind of distance themselves, even for someone who has PTSD, it does seem very odd that she just has no clue. And in her dream, when she saw her mom, it's like you didn't see the spider webs, but then when she reached out to her mom, the spider webs appeared and seemed to restrain her from going to her mom. So I, I'm thinking that the spider, the spider webs are part of the spell. This is since we're postulating that 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 has to be some kind of it has to be has some have something to do with what's keeping what's suppressing the memories. It's like the spider is weaving weaving its web around the memories to restrain them and to keep them from freeing themselves and helping her manifest her powers. So I think there's some, I, I, I do think there's something to that. Hmm. That's something new to think about. My thing is, is that it makes sense because if you see, uh, every time her power has manifested, it's been like an elemental power, right? And the, the counter to uh, elemental power, usually in fantasy, is either a human or an animal type of a power or totem. So a spider could be some sort of powerful totem that is connected to whatever spell that might be taking over her. Mm. See, now I'm going to... It's always got to be spiders. What, yes, it always has to be freaking spiders. Why does it have to be spiders? Why couldn't it be butterflies? You know? I'm saying, why couldn't it be a dog? Why couldn't it be a dog or a cat or... I mean, dang, even a fly. Why a spider? Damn. Mm hmm Okay, but we're going to come back to Diana because I want to go back to the congregation for a minute. So Knox is in the witch's archives and he's looking through the files, the Diana Bishop files, and Satu enters and she basically starts questioning him. You know, why didn't you tell me you had Diana Bishop tested and, you know, I thought we were supposed to be working together, blah, 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 blah. And he pulls, I don't know what this little thing is that's in his pocket. He pulls it out of his pocket and he starts saying a spell and the spell basically immobilizes her. Like she can only move her eyeballs. 
And he basically, you know, starts walk. I mean, he starts skulking around her, not even walking. He's skulking around her. Like he's making himself feel very threatening towards her. And he's like, I brought you here to be my ally, not for you to question me and undermine me. Like he's basically letting it know you are nothing without me. I was the one who put you here. I was the one who brought you here. You're going to do what I want you to do. He basically um, insinuates that, you know, when, when the humans used to, when they were doing the Salem witch trials, they used to crush suspected witch, witches under weights, you know, to kind of make them confess or, you know, to see whether or not they're witches. And he threatens to do the same with her. And he has already like, he has forcefully thrown her on this table with the spell of his, with his spell and she can't move. And this little ball that he had in his pocket, he gets ready to sit it down on her face. And it's almost like you could feel the pressure of it. Like this little bitty ball seemed like it was holding the weight of the world. And she was really scared that this thing was about to crush her. And then he releases her from the spell and he basically tells her, he was like, we can only protect ourselves from the humans and other creatures if we work together. And he gets up, he takes the files and he leaves. And again, the look on her face when she's looking at him as he's leaving, it's like all of this, all of this anger about patriarchy and men being in charge it's like it's starting to fester in her especially considering what he just did to her basically he was like yeah you're powerful but I'm more powerful to you than you I brought you here I put you in this space you're supposed to be my ally you don't get to question me that whole arrogance that he has about himself and it's just kind of like I feel it coming you know change is coming I feel Feel it? She, she may not do anything about it now, but she's gonna it's file that away. Coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's gonna file like, that away. Oh, yes, yeah, she's filing it away, and she's like, "Yeah, that's I'm taking this behind because." Well, the I brought you into I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Thing. That's over. basically and that's basically like, the equivalent of what he did, and it's just kind of like. Ooh, you could feel you could feel the tension when he walked out of that room. I mean, if looks could kill, he would be dead, which they probably can, considering she's a witch. But I don't think that's what she wanted at the time. You know, I I kind of have a feeling. I almost have a feeling like she is waiting for something. Like it's, I know she's there with Knox, but. You have to think about it. Knox went hunting for her in the beginning. Like he searched, he, he sniffed her out. He searched her out. And she seemed to be like in a position where she didn't want to be found. And he found her anyway. So one, even though she is working there with him, I feel like she's either doing it for her own gain, for her own purposes, or she's doing it because he has something that he's using against her. But I don't think she's there willingly working with him. That's I, I think I think she's there willingly. I just think that she I don't think I don't think she knew how I don't I wouldn't call it corrupt, but I don't think she really understood understands what he wants. 
Like, he just wants power. That's what he's about. She just wanted to be a part of the world, being on the congregation, you know? Okay. Being one of the influencers. But I think she didn't realize that she, to him, she's just a tool to get what he wants. Mm -hmm. And that's how everyone is to him. Everyone Mm -hmm. is just someone to be used, someone to be a tool, because what he ultimately wants is more power for himself. And I don't think she, until that point, that moment, I don't think she realized, she didn't, at that moment, she finally realized that that's what he's about. He's not trying to work with her. He's not trying to teach her anything. She's a weapon that he's going to use whenever he wants to. And she needs to understand that. Mm -hmm. That's how he feels about her. Mm. Mike, you were saying you have a theory? Okay, I have a small theory. I'm not really good at this. So so I'm thinking that whatever he, he pulled out of his, what he pulled out of his pocket was something that was I think it was part of a rock, one of those rocks that was used, and it's part of is one of the ways that he can tap into dark magic. I think Ooh. there's probably a Ooh. lot of totems that he has that that he that he can draw from that would give him access to dark magic. Because I mean that I mean what he did I mean it's a little black pebble, so it just screams dark magic anyway. And then the way he used it, walked around her, literally pirouetted her without touching her, made her mm. face them instantly, and right? Then her back, all because of that. And then, and then, like you're saying, basically feel being able to feel the the weight of it being put on her and not put on her. I'm I'm almost positive that's like a part of a part of one of the rocks from that because I it's just like remembering. Uh, the play, the Crucible, when they, when they were talking about when the guy got killed, he was he just said more weight when they kept putting stones on mm-hmm. his chest to try to get him to confess. So I'm I'm almost positive that's what that is, and I'm I'm sure that's not the only little only totem that he has where he can draw he can draw dark power from. Hmm. That's an awesome theory. That is, I didn't even think about that, but that also makes a lot of sense look at y'all coming up with these bomb ass theories tonight oh y'all got y'all y'all are gonna make Uh (laughs) but i mean seriously it's like now sitting here thinking about all this especially like the theory about diana being under a spell and that that makes me want to go back and kind of rewatch just to kind of see if that influences the way that i watch the episodes now because that really does seem like a very plausible theory. It, you make, know? it makes it, it makes the interaction between Satu and Diana make more sense. The way that Satu was confused about whatever magic was going on, that makes that it makes that com- that little scene makes way more sense now. Right. When you, when you take that into consideration. And then you have to think about it. So if Satu tried to test Diana's power powers during that encounter, and she could sense that there was something there, but it was hidden. But then she turned around and she read Knox's report saying that Diana had no powers. She knows one of two things. She knows that Knox either lied about Diana having powers or that Diana's parents lied to Knox or did something and Knox has no clue that or had no clue that Diana had powers prior to encountering her um, you know, the couple of encounters he had with her in the last couple of episodes. 
So I think at this point, like Satu knows that Knox is, there's something maybe off about Knox in this sense, like either you don't know what you're doing or you're, or you know what you're doing and you're, you're lying about it. But either way it goes, something's not adding up. And I think she's starting to see it. You know? Yeah, that could definitely. be. That, that could be. I, I get the feeling that as we watch these episodes more and more, that there is a, a continuous back uh, plot that we are only getting introduced to a little bit at a time. But if we look at the full eight episodes, we're going to see the full that was in the background that actually by the time we get to the end, you're going to be like, really? Mm-hmm. That's kind of, you, you see what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. there's too many little threads each episode, mm-hmm. like you keep saying, that they keep dropping, stopping, dropping, stopping. Mm-hmm. And it's got, I mean, the show is so brilliant that I wouldn't put it past them to drop a bomb on us. Right. And hit us with something. Which you they know, probably it, will, you know, that, probably that's in just, the next couple of episodes. Yep. But yeah, probably will. Yes. Okay, so we're still in the congregation. While all of this is going on, while Peter and Satu are having their thing, and Baldwin is, you know, doing whatever, Agatha is doing some research on her own, and she calls to speak to Sophie. And when she does, she asks Sophie about the statue that she talked about. She asks why she thinks that statue is linked to alchemy. And Sophie tells her that the moon in her hair reminds her of the white queen in the books and that the person that she's supposed to give it to is an alchemy too, which she didn't mention in the last episode. So Agatha asks, she says, well, what do you mean? And she says, well, I've had visions of this person and she's located in a castle with seven towers. And she starts telling uh, Agatha about the importance of the number seven in alchemy. And Agatha's just sitting here listening to all of this. And um, Sophie tells her that the person is in the castle with seven towers and she's with her dark king. And Agatha is like, she's sitting there putting two and two together. She's like, hold up. She was like, um, I need you to not talk about this to anybody. And Sophie's like, who am I going to tell? She was like, wait, do you know who this person is? <laughs> and Agatha's like, yeah, I think so. And Sophie is like, oh, you've got to, you, you've got to introduce me. You've got to, you've got to get us to meet. And Agatha's like, no, nah, she's in trouble. I don't work. want you nowhere near it. This, <laughs> no, you cannot come near her. No, this is, no, I just need the information. No, you don't need to meet her. You don't need to do this destiny. No, no. No, and it's just kind of like now I'm really intrigued because everybody's having visions all over the place. Mm -hmm. So again, we still don't know what Sophie is. I I don't know. Okay, let me say this. I'm going to assume at this point that Sophie is probably a demon because with Agatha being on the count, uh, being on the congregation and her son being a demon, I don't think that she would allow Nat to be with another species or with a human. So I think at this point, it's probably Mm. safe to say that Sophie is also a demon. But then that that makes me wonder. Well, I'm saying because he he's really for interspecies mingling. Like he's 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 against the ban on it, and like he's wait no he's. 
Nat, Nat is not whoa, against. Whoa, whoa. Uh-uh, he's not against the band. What he's against is the fact that they've based the treatment of demons. Yeah, they've basically okay, said I mean. that demons cannot, they cannot associate with each other, they cannot congregate together. And yeah, he yeah, feels yeah. like okay. that's yeah, discrimination against their whole species. And he's like, you know, we have so many problems right now because of the fact that we can't come together. And that needs to change. So yeah, I don't. And I think that would make it more likely that Sophie is a demon because right. that's who he would want to be with. Mm-hmm. Right, but see that there's also the other thing. Obviously, Nate's a demon, and Agatha is a demon, and hello, that's his mom. So they've kind of been around each other their entire lives, sort of. So, you know, that blows that out the window. I mean, unless of course demons can't congregate with their family. To a certain point, I mean, but see the whole thing saying. with the I think they just can't kind of, as a group. They can't as a group. Yeah. Okay. But see that thing, the whole thing with the demons is kind of has me asking questions too. Because one of the the thing that Nate is doing is he created a chat room for demons who were born of humans. You know, so it's kind of like okay, so. That's you guys are saying yeah. they can't they can't co-mingle with species but you've got demons who are being born to humans but clearly Nat was born to his mother who is also a demon so that means that either she was with another demon or I, I mean it's just there's like a whole bunch of questions I have as far as the demons and their backgrounds and how they fit into all of this. Like we pretty much know the vampires sire sire each other. We know, you know, that the witches are, as far as we can tell, they're born witches, but the demons are kind of like this big question mark, you know, as far as how, how are the demons like, okay, yeah, like I said, we know that they're born of humans. We know that some of the demons are born of other demons as in Agatha and Nat, but other than that, we really don't know anything about them except for the fact that right now, as far as their species goes, their species is also dying out. They're prone to fits of madness. They're homeless, which means they have no kind of uh, societal support. They have no kind of, um, they don't have support from the congregation, obviously. Um, so it's just kind of like, what's the deal with the demons? Like one, why are they so ostracized as opposed to everybody else? And like, I, I think they're going to be important in in the grand scheme of things. I think everything that's going on, I think Dan is going to find out that the demons have a lot more to do with it than than we know. I hope so because other knows. than that, it's kind of like I feel like they're giving us this species, but they're not giving us enough background on them and it just kind of feels like filler right now which again we've talked about this show and the way the writing is and how things seem to be you know in my words it's a more intelligent show you know so I don't think that they would just give us filler just to give us filler like well I think I think the writers are intentionally holding stuff back especially with the demons because they want to do a big reveal later that's that's kind of what I keep feeling because we only, if you think about it, we're we if we still look at the story from the perspective of um, Dana, she doesn't know anything about anything. 
Right. So, as long as she doesn't know anything about the demons, we're not going to know. We're not going to know. Yep, you're right. You're right. You know? That makes and, sense. And, and so I think that's something that they're holding back for when it's revealed to her, it'll be revealed to us. But damn it, I want to know now. <laughs> I, because they want to keep you watching, you to keep watching. Well, I'm, I'm gonna keep watching regardless but yeah but i am very curious <laughs> about that and and it's funny because like laurie said um when we first started talking about the show you don't really get a lot of shows where demons are a part of the makeup of right. the characters like you get you get demons and right. like supernatural but I mean, Supernatural was like a, just a show on its own. It's like when you deal with vampires and humans and witches, usually the other component of that is werewolves. I can't remember right. the last yeah. time demons and, and, were this, you know, this prominent in the story. And they're not even really prominent at this point, but we know that there's a main component about them and there's something missing mm -hmm. about them and, and you're right. I do feel like it, there's going to be something big that comes of this, especially the fact that, you know, now we're getting Sophie a little bit more. and we're, we're learning about this statue and these visions. I know that there's something coming. I just want to know now because I'm curious and I just want to see how all the puzzle pieces fit together, you know. But again, but, but, there's so much. I'm sorry. Sorry, Hanako. Uh, no, it's fine because I, I know there's a, a little bit of a lag, so. Correct, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but on the demon thing really quickly, we didn't see, other than last season, any demons in the Vampire Diaries either, right? We saw monsters, but we didn't see demons. I mean, because the siren really technically doesn't count as a demon. Or am I wrong? We see demons in Legacy, but that's the first time because we don't see it in the originals either. You're right. You're right. And I'm sitting here thinking long and hard, like, hold up. Like, I just yeah. got the demons in Buffy. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, about there you go. And right Angel. And yeah. Angel. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, but those shows were so long ago. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, like I said, aside from, and you, well, I watch Angel every year. <laughs> so yeah, but no, I, I, don't, I watch Angel every year. I hate Buffy, love Angel. I know I'm odd, and I don't count Lucifer because that's just part of the story. Right, Lucifer I mean, is just this yeah. perfect show. Yeah, but but um, yeah. So I just I want to know about the demons. I want to know about the demons. But um, no, I, I'm obsessed about the fact that of all the creatures and the way that the creatures are created, it actually seems that the only two races that are natural born are demons and the witches. And I find it weird that the demons are natural born of humans. Because they've, they've mentioned that at least three times. Yes, they have, which I, again is probably one of those things that's going to come up in a later episode and be one of those big things. Okay, so, I'm shut up now. I'm sorry. No, I'm shut up no, now. I'm just because I'm because honestly, and it's funny because, like I said, I watched this whole series when it first came out, but that was 
that was last wow that was last year 2020 was a long year because i really thought it was <laughs> earlier. It was i thought it was earlier this year but no it came out last year so it's been over a year since i watched it so it's like as we're discussing it and as i'm watching the episodes there are certain things that are coming back to me but it's coming back to me in small pieces so i can't think of what if there is a big reveal about the demons, what it is, but that I'm glad because that means I get to experience it all over again, which is cool (laughs) because, and especially now, because, because when I started watching this show, there weren't a lot of people that I knew who were also watching the show. So like, I didn't have an opportunity to talk about the show like I'm doing right now with this Mm -hmm. podcast. So Mm -hmm. I, just with me, if I'm not talking about something consistently, I'll tend to forget about things. So the fact that I'm, that we're able to talk about it, like things are sticking in my mind a little bit more. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm starting to remember this. I remember this, but I don't remember like certain things, which is great because like I said, I get to experience it again, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still stuck on this demon thing. I want to know what's going on with the demons, but we can talk about that all day. I want to get to, I want to get back to the con- con- congregation because Baldwin and Jaber are having a very interesting conversation. <laughs> so, so they're having a conversation while all this other stuff is going on in the congregation and you know, Baldwin is telling Jaber, he's like, well, if Matthew has the book, he's going to bring it to me. Like, he's so confident that his brother is going to do this thing that, you know, yeah, he's going to bring it to me. And Jaber is like, Matthew has always done what Matthew wants and you have no control over him. So again, Baldwin is the by the rules, by the book, older brother. Matthew is the rebel. He's the one that's like, you know what? Fuck your rules. I'm gonna do what I want to do. And we see that <laughs> plainly right here. And Jaber says, like I said, they all know it. They all they know all it. Know He's it. gonna do what he wants to do. They, they all, all know it. Bitch, if you think about it, when Domenico and Jaber were talking, and Domenico was like, Yeah, we need to use this as an opportunity to you know to bring uh to bring matthew in and get him punished and stuff they knew that this was the only way they were going to be able to do it because other than that they just can't they can't do anything with matthew and domenico is going to find that out in the hard way in a little bit but we'll talk about that too but (laughs) so jaber basically he's he's telling ball when he's like look the vampires are plotting for more power. The demons have become unruly. You know, we used to rule this with an iron fist, basically saying that the vampires used to be the strongest of them all. And now Jaber feel, feels like they're losing their grip on that control. And he thinks part of that is Matthew's fault. You know, he's like, your brother is undermining everything that we've, that we've been doing. And your lack of control over him, you know, seems to weaken us and it's compromising our position. And I feel like he was low-key challenging Baldwin when he said that. He was like, oh, you know, maybe the Declaremonts don't have as much control as they used to, you know, over 800 years. It's kind of like, yeah, you guys have been on top of the food chain 
And now it's all coming apart because your brother can't stay away from a witch. That's basically what the implication was. And Baldwin's looking at him like, how dare you? But at the same time, <laughs> you can you can come for the crown if you want to. Right. That's, that's right. That's, but at the same time, you, know, you come for it if you want to. He was making he was making sense. Like, yeah, you guys, you know, yeah, your dad started this congregation. You guys are, you know, you guys are the ones in charge. But Knox just accused your brother of breaking, you know, congregation rules in front of everybody. There's no way to hide this. There's no way to work around this. Like, this is a problem that you have to confront directly. And I don't know if you can do it because you can't control your brother. I was like, yeah. He's, he's trying to get that power. And I think that was, I don't know, we were talking about the last episode about Domenico and Jaber and just kind of what that relationship is and, you know, what, what, their, what their motivations are. And I think Jaber probably wants that upper hand. He wants that control. And, you know, Knox just kind of, I won't say handed it to him on a silver platter, but he just basically made Baldwin look incompetent through the faults of his brother. You know, it's like, yeah, your brother can't even follow the rules. So why, why should we have you leading us? Why should you be in charge? I, I, I get the feeling that that might be the least of Baldwin's problems as far as, oh, as his brother is concerned. We're about to get to it. I get the feeling. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'll be good. I'll be good. No, it's fine. That's a good segue because so first we got to go. They have this little dinner. You know, uh, there, there's a dinner at set tour. Uh, Diana, Matthew, and Isabel, they're having dinner. They're trying to be a little civil. But Isabel is, again, she's, she's being she's being polite but she's being underhandedly polite because it's like she's saying nice things and then she's also getting a dig in while she's saying the nice things. And then after dinner, they go into another room, they, they sit in front of the fire and they start reminiscing a little bit about old times. And it kind of breaks the tension and you can see Matthew and Isabel kind of enjoying themselves because they, you know, Matthew asks his mother to dance and they start dancing. And then he puts on another record and asks Diana to dance. And, you know, the way that they set this up is supposed to be a very kind of lighthearted scene. And Diana tells Matthew she doesn't know how to dance. And of course they start dancing and she's clumsy. She, you know, she trips over his feet and, you know, it, it's awkward. And then just gradually you start to see it's like, it's like she's learning as she goes to the point where she goes from being very clumsy to very good in like a few minutes time. And in the midst of all this, her body starts glowing with her magic, you know? And it's just kind of a thing, like they're all looking at her like, oh my God, what is this? And, you know, Matthew remarks to her when they go walking later on, he says, you know, it's nice to see you enjoying your magic because she hadn't, she hadn't done that before. And she just kind of let loose and just kind of wasn't thinking about it. And it manifested itself in a beautiful way 
in the dance. And of course, this leads to a moment, they share a kiss, and then they continue on their walk. And they're walking, they're just talking about trivial things. Like I said, this is kind of like a fun moment between them, which is cool because we don't get a lot of those moments in this show. It's like drama, 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 angst, 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 you know, let's deal with this. And there's almost no fun in the episode. So you get to see these little lighthearted moments with them, which is fun. And then of course, as they're about to go back into the castle, here's Domenico. And Domenico and Matthew, they greet each other and you can tell that they have known each other for a long time. They, you know, they kind of make reference to it that the last time they, they saw each other, they were fighting in a war. I think, who did Domenico say he was fighting for someone and Matthew was fighting for the Knights of the Templar. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, so Domenico's very old too. And he basically is there to deliver a message from the congregation to Diana. Now, Matthew, of course, ultra protective mode. He tries to send Diana back in the house. And of course, we've, al we, we've already established that Diana is no pushover. And she is not one for people telling her what to do and for shying away from confrontation. So she's basically like, no, I'm not going in. He can say what he has to say to me, you know. And Domenico tells her that she's been commanded to appear before the congregation to answer for breaking covenant rules and for the book. And she tells him that she doesn't have the book and if the congregation wants it, they can go get it themselves. And he's like, well, that's why we need you there. We need you to tell us how to call it up. Dummy, she's not coming with you. And Matthew says as much. And Domenico kind of reads the situation and he's like, oh, he was like, this is not about the book. This is about her. So you're breaking covenant rules and you know what the consequences are. And Diana's sitting there like, what is he talking about? What rules? What consequences? And of course, Isabel and Marta have arrived and it's about to be this big thing. So Matthew, he turns to Diana, he caresses her face and then he tells Isabel like, get her in the house. He turns around and he goes after Domenico and Domenico doesn't know what has happened. Like all of a sudden, they were talking and then all of a sudden now Matthew has his arms around Domenico's neck and he's about to snap his neck. I was like, wait, wait, they can't kill him yet. He's too pretty. We can't be rid of him. <laughs> I just, I just want to point out that Domenico should realize that he, he shouldn't want any part of Matthew at all. If he didn't realize it he really before, he realizes it now because, like I said, he it's, didn't even realize like, that Matthew had gotten behind him, and Matthew had his head. He yeah, was like, my, my thing is okay. Your neck right. Here. Yeah, he's like, I, I volunteered to go and get her, but like, dude, are you? No, even... no, Anthony, you said it wrong. I volunteered, I volunteered to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, but it's, it's like he. I think he thought he had the okay. He thought he had the weight of the congregation behind him, <laughs> forgetting the fact that Matthew does not care about the congregation. Matthew don't he, give screw the congregation rules. He doesn't. And oh, I think geez. Domenico really, I think he, he, 
I think he had good intentions as far as he's concerned, but I don't really think he thought it all the way through. No, he thought he thought he thought way too much of himself. Yeah, and that's that's like the second or third time that people. That's the second time that someone who was really powerful and wasn't expecting it got their asses handed to him. First, Satu, Satu got it handed to him by Knox. Now, Domenico got his handed to him by Matthew. And neither one of them were, were expecting that, but they straight got humbled. And can I say that Domenico actually looked like a real vampire in this scene? Like, yes. he was dark, yeah. smoking, mm-hmm. like his eyes were almost kind of glowing. I was like, okay, finally we're getting, like, kind of the evil van, like, the typical vampire look. I was like, oh, okay, so is this just in the dark, or I'm not sure what's up, but, yeah, he de- he definitely had that menacing look and the and the voice to go with it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, after after um, after he had Matthew's, Matthew's arm around his throat, he changes to him real quick. But here's the and thing. Kind of he, he, we keep talking about characters who fail to read the room. We have been talking about this through <laughs> the boys. We talked about it through Curse. So when Isabel and Marta stepped up and Domenico kind of challenged Matthew and, you know, Matthew was like, no, she's not going anywhere with you. Isabel was even pleading with Matthew, like, please, because I think she saw where this was going. And Domenico said, so are you refusing to allow me to carry out congregation duties? And Matthew was like, yes. He said, and you realize what the consequences are? Matthew was like, yes. That's the point when Domenico should have turned his ass around and just told Baldwin, you know what? I tried. It just didn't work. Because Matthew made it known (laughs) right then and right there. I know about your rules. I don't give a fuck about your rules. She's staying here. You can go to hell. That's basically what Matthew said. Domenico didn't know how to read that room. And he paid for it because Matthew, I mean, Matthew had time to turn around, caress Diana's face, send her off, and then get behind Domenico. Domenico was behind him. Matthew had his back to Domenico. He still ended up behind Domenico, having him in a chokehold and broke his leg and was like, look. Okay, well. This is the other thing. (laughs) This is the other thing, right? Okay, so Philippe creates the congregation, but apparently, whatever rules he put in place, they all agreed to, didn't apply to his family because you got Isabel going off and slaughtering covens of witches. (laughs) You got Matthew, who for Well, technically, though, Isabel slaughtered the covens after Philippe was killed. So I think in her mind at that point, Fuck Philippe's rules. He's dead. So they didn't follow his rules. So she's not going to follow them. So I can understand her doing that. Yeah. So this this tenuous, I'm going to call it this tenuous little thing that they have going on called the congregation, I think is not long for this world. <laughs> yeah. Especially not if not if one of the sons is refusing to follow the uh you know the rules. He's like, he like, I was here before it was even made, so the rules don't apply to me. Right, right. So, <laughs> so again, Matthew breaks Domenico's leg, pushes him, and he's basically like, 
you delivered your message you got your answer get away from here don't come back and Domenico is like oh I'm gonna hunt you down and kill you both talking about at first at first I was like did you really just threaten Isabel but no he was talking about Matthew and Diana and he was like even De Clermont can die I'm almost surprised at that point when he said that that Isabel didn't grab him and snatch him up you know she thought about it oh you know she did but it was almost she's the regal one she's the one who has to show some control because at this point her son is not doing a a great job of it (laughs) so then when go go ahead Lori. i got a little joke it wasn't quite i will shoot off your pinky toe but it was close (laughs) i can see that oh yeah yeah (laughs) Okay. Oh. I, I just know I think I think the the, the Claremonts are not anyone they're not people or vampires that anyone really want to mess with. Oh no. Oh, I mean we 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 get that. I mean you think about it. So Philippe created the congregation or he formed the congregation. Isabel is known as a witch hunter and she, you know she has literally the word was decimated dozens mm-hmm. of witch covens mm-hmm. over a span of decades baldwin is now the head of the congregation mm-hmm. so he's pretty much in charge of all the supernatural beings go figure and then matthew is again the rebellious son who everybody knows of but if you've noticed not too many people dare to approach i mean mm-hmm. Knox, Knox came close but that mm-hmm. wasn't by mm-hmm. his choice he was there trying to intimidate Diana and Matthew happened to show up and Knox was like, oh yeah, you know what? Peace out. Mm-hmm. 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 So yeah, I don't that, think that, that finger in the air when you leave church, that's what it was. It was like, right. wait a minute, I gotta go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, you're right. I don't think you want to mess with any of them. But you know, after that, Isabel, I think after this encounter, Isabel kind of has a deeper understanding of what's going on because she looks at Matthew and Matthew turns and looks at her and she was like, the book of life, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you say anything? And he admits to her that that was what initially drew him to Diana. He said, but then it became something more. And then he tells her, uh, I think the, the term he used was my, I'm, my and me, which is I'm in love translated. And she was like, I, I can see that, you know, it's kind of like, Matthew, I don't think you need to tell anybody this at this point. Like the fact that you just basically told your father's organization a big screw you to protect this witch. Yeah, we kind of figured you were in love. That's pretty obvious to everyone now at this point. But um, terminology is whipped. (laughs) But you know, he hasn't gotten it yet. So right, but she, you know, she basically tells him she was like give her to the congregation they won't kill her if you do but they will if you don't and you know matthew kind of walks out and in the meantime diana is inside with martin she asked martha about the covenant and martha basically tells her that it forbids interspecies relationships and diana of course you know we're we're in the you know 21st century diana lot she's like that's crazy like, who would even agree to that? And, you know, Marta tells her, well, you know, there were a lot more creatures 
back then and we were pretty much used to taking what we wanted so Philippe decided that you know if the species made it then it would upset the balance of power so these rules were created you know to kind of keep things in place and Diana says well what happens what's the punishment if it if if the rules are broken and Marta's like far as I know the rules have never been broken so mm-hmm. they're pretty much the first and then Matthew and his mother walk back in and you know, he tells her, he was like, Domenico is gone. The congregation won't be sending anyone else. And when she asked why, he's like, because we're not going to break the covenant. And of course, I understand he's doing this for her protection. But again, Diana doesn't look at it that way. She was like, okay, here he goes trying to control my life again. So you just going to give up? Like she starts, she she's ready to fight at this point. She's like, so you just going to give up? That That's just it? And he was like, you know, he starts trying to push her away. He basically does the whole, um, you know, you don't know me. You didn't know me three weeks ago. You don't know what I'm capable of, you know, trying to pull the, oh, I'm the big, bad murderer person. You don't want to be in love with me, blah, 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 blah. She was like, yo, my magic didn't start doing what it's doing until we got together. We are bound together. I love you. And he kind of stops then because it's kind of like, you don't know what to do at this point. Like you want to push her away, but she just, I mean, the the chick you've been craving for the last couple of weeks just told you that she loves you. He, he's like, I don't know what to do with that. Right. Thanks. And she tries to get him to admit the same. She was like, not thinking about the congregation, not thinking about the covenant. How do you feel about me? He was like, you know how I feel about you. She was like, no, I want you to say it. When she said, say it, I was like, I went back into twilight mode. That was that was Edward trying to get <laughs> Bill to call him a vampire. <laughs> say it. I was like, oh, really? But, you know, and. Yeah, I heard. All, all I heard was brownstone. Like, you love me. <laughs> but it's at that exact moment that he gets a phone call. And I'm guessing it's from Matthew or Miriam. And they're basically telling him that the lab has been broken into. And so he needs to go back to Oxford. Um, Something else we didn't mention early in the episode is that Sylvia and Jillian had a conversation. And Sylvia basically told Jillian, well, Peter Knox wants to know more about Matthew and wants us to find out everything that we can. So I'm assuming it's the witches that broke into the lab. But Matthew gets ready to leave. Diana tries to go with him and he's like no you're not going you're staying and Isabel asks him to reconsider and he's like mom I need he's like I need you I need her to stay here and I need you to protect her I need you to protect her with your life and Isabel agrees and he leaves and Diana follows after him and she's crying and what happens is as she starts crying, once the, once one of her tears hits the ground, like the bottom falls out of the sky and Isabel and Marta come out and they realize that Diana is actually causing the rain. Like you can see the waves of magic coming off of her. And then just as they realize that she's causing it to rain, you see another wave of magic and then all of a sudden the rain starts reversing and it starts going back into the sky. And then the episode cuts and I'm like, wait, so she's powerful enough. She can control the weather now. Like. See, I- so now she's like 
we have what what was the first one that she did? Um The Wind. Mm-hmm. And now we got Water. And now so next week, Fire and Earth is what's left. Right. Oh my god, she she's she's the last airbender. <laughs> exactly. She's the avatar. It's anger. <laughs> but I mean, if you think he about it, a lot of times when it comes to magic, you, you know, some magical beings, they can only control like one element, one specific element. One element the right. fact that she's already learned how to control, to, or, excuse me, no, she hasn't. Two. She doesn't know how to control it, but she has her magic. Can she has access, access to it. To it. Mm-hmm. She's even more powerful than we thought. And she also can do 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 mental stuff too, because she yes, threw knocks um, out of her head. Right. Using her head. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So we've got wind, water, and spirit. Right. Spirit. It's heart. No, it's heart. heart. So now, so now, if she combines them, does she turn to Captain Planet? No, she's gonna be Lilu. She's gonna be Lilu Dallas Multipass. But she. <laughs> so, so at this point, y'all done fucked with the wrong witch. <laughs> like literally, literally. It pissed her off. And now. and the word, the thing is. We we talked about this before. The 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 worst, not the worst, but the, the most dangerous magical beings are wildlings who don't really know how to control their magic. And if she has access to that much magic and can't control it, that's gonna be a problem for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. as emotional as she is, but she's all over the place. <laughs> and then, you know, Matthew is just <laughs> I know Matthew thinks he's doing what's best for her. I get that. I understand it. We already know this is not good. He's not going to be able to be steadfast in this, especially now that she has revealed her feelings for him. Yeah, you already told the congregation, fuck you. You might as well go all the way at this point. I think it's, this is his temporary solution to this temporary problem. Right. Like, okay, I need the congregation to lay off, so I'm going to lay off her until I get this congregation thing situated and then we'll be about that business. <laughs> about that business. About that business. There's so, like it's it's crazy because I know we went over everything in the episode and I still feel like we missed something. There's so much that they are packing into these episodes and it's a lot. It's I don't even know I don't even know what I want to say right now. Like, it's there's so much. Like, I feel like there there are shows where you're watching and you can get so much information in an episode and it feel still feels like something is missing. I don't feel that way with this show. Like, they're giving us so much. And and again, with the layers, we're getting all these different things and we're getting all of this different information that is coming, you know, coming to fruition in the following episode, in the following episode, like like they're c- consistently building. And I'm just like, if they can do this in eight episodes, can you imagine what this story would be like if they had 10 or if they had 13, you know, or if it was like right. a network show and they had 22, like this is what they can do in eight episodes. And the thing with a lot of eight episode shows 
sometimes they feel slow when they start out and then they kind of rush to fill in everything in the last few episodes or sometimes they tell the story but you feel like they're not telling enough like there's still so much to unpack and they just kind of leave things unfinished I don't get that feeling at all with this show and haven't since the first episode like I feel you know, we talked we talked about it a, a couple episodes ago. I feel like I've been sitting down at a gourmet meal and I'm getting full with every course. You know, it's just yeah. I'm like so mm-hmm. in love with this show. <laughs> it's really yeah. nuanced, and it's like they they do put a lot of like little things in it. Like when they first started dancing, when he first started dancing with Diana, and they were stumbling. Isabo yells, let him lead. And as soon as, she let, <laughs> as soon as she let him lead, she said they started going, they started blending together and dancing together, and then her magic started glowing. So I think that's a that's the thing where she can actually learn to learn to trust him. Trust oh him. yeah. She's the last dragon. She glowed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you are the last dragon. I think we need to keep track of all the pop culture references we make when we're talking about the show because I we cannot keep that so many, we can't keep up with all that. But yeah, it's like it's really nuanced and it's really specific. Like it doesn't leave holes, and that's really hard to do in writing. Like just keep to continue, like to write it and then go over and be like, oh, we forgot this. Let's put this in real quick. Mm-hmm. But it's like there are not a lot of holes in the, in any of the, either of these episodes. And and unlike Cursed, which it took almost a whole season for the writing to to <laughs> get to that level. Right. With this show, it's like right. we kind of first couple of episodes, the writers seemed to know ex- exactly what they were doing. Yeah. You know, they they knew exactly how much to give us, how much to hold back, and it's it's been it's been really good, and I think it's going to pay off in the end. But I think too, I think the, the good thing about this show is that the author of the books that the show is based on, I believe she is a consultant on the show and she does uh, work very closely with the writers. She re- works with the cast. Um, she's actually doing some promos on social media right now, um, you know, and in anticipation of the second season coming in. So on Mondays now she's posting like set photos and she's talking a little bit about the experience bringing the book to the screen. So that's a, that's an interesting um, thing to find out if you can go to uh, her Instagram or excuse me, her, well, her Instagram, her Twitter, or her Facebook page, Deborah Harkness, um, you'll find a lot of like interesting tidbits that she's been posting from the set and just um, talking about the pro- the the process from getting it from the page to the screen. And she seems to be really like behind this project. And, um, you know, sometimes when it comes to adaptations, you don't, you don't see that a lot. You know, it's, we, we've hear a lot of times where the authors are not necessarily behind the projects or they feel like the projects are not meeting the standard that they had or, you know, 
set for their books, but I don't get that with this series. And I think it, it helps a lot because of course, if the writers have questions about what the characters would do, or if the actors have questions about how a character would behave in a particular situation or a particular scene, they can go straight to the source and kind of get some insight. And I think that probably also makes the show better because you've got the person who created this world right here and she's supporting this show and what they're doing with her characters and that I think you know enhances the story that we're being told and we can see it because like I said from from the first episode this show has kept me interested you know and um that that's that's kind of hard to do with the eight episode series you know, sometimes it just, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And this is one of those shows where it definitely works. I wish we could get some more episodes. That would be cool. But I mean, y'all are giving me a lot. Like I'm literally sitting here watching the episodes and I'm like, oh my God, this is so much like, how are we going to remember to talk about this all? Like, that's why I started doing <laughs> like literally instead of taking notes now, I'm like, I'm literally writing out recaps because there's so much. And then I, I go back and I think about something that happened in the episode and I'm looking at, I'm like, oh yeah, this happened. And, you know, now being able to go back like to the episode three and seeing what we talked about in episode three and how it's playing out in episode four, I like being able to do that. And it's kind of easy to do that because the story has remained solid and consistent throughout the first four episodes. So I already, like, I'm not even worried about the back four episodes because I already know we're about to get awesome story. I know we're about to get a whole shitload of information. And, you know, it's it's great. It's amazing. I love it. I'm having so much fun with this show. Like, really. Yeah. Any final it thoughts? I have more fun than I thought it would. Yeah. So final thoughts? Well, you know... Well, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing Cora discover her new powers as the Avatar. No. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, it's just, again, it's having these questions answered. How powerful is she? Why is she as powerful as she is? Is she the reincarnation of the original witch? I mean, what, 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 where are we going with this? That's what I want to know. And, and mm-hmm. as long as they keep me interested and wanting to know more about what's happening, the more I'm going to keep watching the show. I'm actually really interested now in Satu's journey because she has she has a lot. She has more. I think she's way more important to the story than we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she's power, she's that she is a she's a really powerful witch in her own right, but she's gotten owned twice. I feel like she's going to have a breakout moment where she's going to be the one owning somebody and it's going to be a surprise. I'm also, I'm actually really invested in Knox now because I really think that he has, he has a lot of totems or talismans that will, that help him channel dark, dark magic. So I'm really interested to see what he, what he pulls out, if he pulls anything else out and it'd be, he'll be, I want, I really want to see like, the, the showdown between him and um, Diana, like even even though she's he's probably gonna it's probably gonna be like the last dragon where so where so where Knox is gonna be like who's the master witch? 
I have a feeling Knox is going to yeah, need that black magic to deal with her. Yeah, he is. Yeah, definitely. he is. Definitely. Black, yellow, purple, blue, any <laughs> other kind of magic. Because she's Especially just- if, 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 if what we think about Satu is true. She ain't good to be there. She ain't walking through that door. <laughs> she's, she's not going to be there for him. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. Yeah, he's going to be on his own. Yep. She's gonna be like, buddy, all that smack you talked, have at it, Hoss. Right. <laughs> Handle that. Go ahead. Go like ahead. I, I feel a girl power moment coming on. <laughs> I'm telling, especially after what oh Knox did to her. Oh girls get it done. Yeah, girls get it done. Hey, I see it coming. <laughs> girls get it done. I see it coming after what Knox pulled in in the her, 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 yeah. Agatha. At her, Agatha, Satu, Isabel, and what whatever Sophie is bringing with Sophie, that talisman, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that. That'd probably be pretty dope. Mm, all right. Well, that's it for this episode. You can find our podcast online at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now iHeartRadio and other podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time.